So rent is 300 a month, well below market, but it's really not about the money for us. So you rented it to her on the spot, just like that. Do you even know anything about this woman? What is it that you do? I'm an artist. And then you ask her to come work in our house? It is a beautiful thing to know that your actions can affect another person's life. All mothers struggle. Money hides it. <laughs> but you can't put a price on a mother's love. Maybe you should wear your hair down. It's, Mom. it's actually your best feature. So is it just you and your mom? Mm-hmm. We move around every few months. She hides stuff, just like everybody else. I called the person that you listed as your previous landlord, and strangely, he didn't seem to know you. Ooh, the drama, the drama, the drama. What's up, guys? It's me, Justin. Back with a little something different this week. So this is the first time I've ever done a review on this show. And you know something really has to be good or thought-provoking, let me say that, to catch my attention enough for me to devote an entire review to it. So Little Fires Everywhere, y'all have seen it by now, this popular Hulu show. It's been thought-provoking. It's about class. It's about race. It's about privilege. Three themes that I really love discussing on this podcast, so why not devote an entire review to it? So there will be spoilers in this review, but I hope you guys do like it. So my friend Aisha is here joining me on this episode, and we're taking a deep dive into all of it, and it's a good one. It's a good one. So before I start, if you guys are new to the show, if you love the show, subscribe, tell a friend to tell a friend, leave the show a review if you really feel the need to do that. I love to see it, and I really appreciate all the support, so feel free to follow me on my Instagram. All of that is linked in the description. And yeah, with that being said, y'all enjoy the show. This week, to join the conversation, my friend Aisha is here on this episode. Hi, Aisha. Hi. So, Aisha, (laughs) how did you get into Little Fires Everywhere? Had you heard about it prior to 2020? What is your, like, background with this uh, TV series on Hulu? So Sandra had actually told me that she was watching it. Mm -hmm. And one night me and Devin were kind of bored and I was like, you know what? I'm going to start this, um, this new series. And Mm -hmm. so I saw it on Hulu because it was like one of the first like recommended shows on Hulu. Right. And then I just started watching it. Right. So my background with this um, TV show, it actually began as a novel. So I actually read the book pretty recently, actually, like maybe six weeks ago, I want to say. So I finished the book a couple weeks ago. And then this is around the time that, you know, the commercials for the show started coming out. So I was like, perfect. I just read the book. Now I'm going to take a deep dive into the TV series. So after I finished the book, I was like, this was good. But then... I started thinking about the themes that it covered. I started thinking about the plot points that the book hit on. And I was like, wait a second. What exactly does good mean? Does the fact that I was entertained alone make something good? Or does good transcend, you know, just being entertained? Because there's so much content that we consume and we're like, oh, that was good. But then when I actually watched the thing that my friend recommended, I was like, that wasn't good. Because my thing with good is that something has to be entertaining And it also has to make sense in a way. There can't be things that I felt were contrived or didn't work with the plot. Everything has to flow together and it also has to be entertaining as well. So this book only hit on one of those and it hit the entertaining mark. It didn't hit the good mark for me because there's themes that we'll get into that this, you know, show covered that had me scratching my head. So do I think it was good? 
no, but Aisha, I'm interested to hear what you think of the show overall. Like, did you think it was good? How do you feel about Little Fires Everywhere? Okay, honestly, I don't know. I'm kind of torn because, like, I enjoyed it, but I don't know if I would recommend other people watch it. Like, I wouldn't mm-hmm. be like, oh, my gosh, this was such a good TV show. Like, I just love it so much, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, I don't know. I I would recommend it to somebody just for the entertainment of it all because it is entertaining and there's definitely themes that we'll discuss that the show touched on that can spark, you know, dialogue and conversation with, you know, other people. So I think that's a redeeming quality of the show. But other than that, I, I don't know. I'm scratching my head on this series. So you guys that are tuning in, Little Fires Everywhere, I'll read the summary. Little Fires Everywhere follows the intertwined fates of the picture-perfect Richardson family and the enigmatic mother and daughter who upend their lives. The story explores the weight of secrets, the nature of art and identity, the ferocious pull of motherhood, and the danger in believing that following the rules can avert disaster. Elena. Someone burned down your house with you inside. Do you know anyone that would do this? One day you wake up and your life is settled and you know who you are. Or at least you think you do. This is Mia, everyone. She's new to Shaker. Hi, Mia. Hi. Do you even know anything about this woman? I saw her sleeping in her car. You rented to a homeless person. You know what felt good? Helping. I've been meaning to hire someone for my house. Just to do a little light cleaning, some laundry. You mean to be your maid? I meant more of a house helper. Did I do the right thing? Running from the truth? A good mother makes good choices. You didn't make good choices. You had good choices. Have you really looked at yourself? The parts you're afraid to look at. So that's kind of vague. That's what the show is about. But to give y'all like (laughs) a Justin version of the summary... Um, Little Fires Everywhere, it follows two families. It follows the privileged white Richardson family, and it follows the black and kind of impoverished, um, I guess, Warren family. So the Richardson family is comprised of Elena, who is played by Reese Witherspoon. She is an organized, privileged, you know, white woman that's basically had everything that she wanted her entire life. She's lived kind of a sheltered, privileged life in which, you know, everything was planned for her since the beginning of her birth, from where she would go to school, from her career. Everything about her life has been planned. So the show actually, you know, shows a montage of how she gets ready in the morning. She writes down her notes. Everything is organized and structured, even to drinking a glass of wine. Before pouring it into a glass like the rest of us, she pours it into a measuring cup and then pours it into into her glass. And I thought that was crazy. Everything about her life is so prim and proper and perfect to the point where she measures her wine isn't that weird Aisha I definitely think it's weird because I just pour (laughs) I pour a glass of wine two shots of vodka two shots of vodka (laughs) (laughs) Um, I love that vine yeah it's like literally she's 
different but to describe the rest of her family she's married to bill who is a lawyer and he defends the mccullough family which we'll hear about in a second she has four kids she has an oldest son named trip and he's a popular jock stereotype um she has a daughter lexi who is perfect and is kind of following in elena's footsteps trying to be perfect straight a's and with lexi the daughter she has a black boyfriend and she's also trying to get into yale so elena also has a another son his name is moody he's the third child he's kind of a simp and if you guys don't know what a simp (laughs) is a simp is basically a nice guy like the nice guy trope that's who moody is and then we have izzy who is the black sheep of the family she is elena's last child she's the daughter and she's also a lesbian we find out you know later in the series but she doesn't fit in the rest of the family you know has their role and she doesn't want to follow the rules she's kind of the different child and i feel like a lot of people can relate to her because a lot of people maybe in your own families you've been the different child so aisha what did you think of the family like the whole richardson family like um from the richardson family okay so from first like initial thoughts i thought like wow like this family is really organized Mm -hmm. um of course towards the end i was just kind of like dang like this mom has projected herself on her kids so much that she doesn't let them breathe and i feel like at the end of the day like you have to let your children be who they want to be obviously guide them in the right direction and teach them like how to have morals and how to treat people right right but at the end of the day like your kids aren't always going to be you. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and I feel like even Nigerian kids can relate to that too, because our parents put so much on us. They have expectations, like you're going to be a doctor, you're going to be a lawyer, you're going to be an engineer. Sometimes life happens, you have other interests, and you want to do other things. And sometimes I feel like parents have to let go and understand that your kid has other passions besides what you you know envision for their own life. Yeah, and I feel like it's unfair to put that much pressure on a child. Mm -hmm. You know, like, there's so many societal pressures already, and especially now growing up. Because, I mean, when we were in high school, yeah, there was pressures. But I can imagine being a teenager now. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, me neither. With the technology, everything is different these days. These kids are living in a whole different world from when we were in high school. But a lot of stuff is still similar with, with, you know, pressure because that doesn't go away. Like things might advance, but that pressure to, you know, succeed for your family, that never goes away. And with me being Nigerian, my parents came here and they were poor. They, you know, worked themselves up and, you know, had us with the expectation that we will be better than them and the next generation will be better than the one that preceded it. Yeah, which I understand that. Like, I know parents, because my own parents have always said that they want better for me than what they had. Mm -hmm. But they still, they don't, they don't put a lot of pressure on me to do things. Cause like when I first started college, I really wanted to be a doctor and mm-hmm. I let that go. Cause I was like, I can't be in school for that long. Mm-hmm. And my parents you can, totally you understand. Can, but you don't want to is the thing, right? Yeah. Cause you, yeah, you're, you're more right. than capable. You're more than capable. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I definitely, I definitely am more than capable of going to school and I can get the grades. I just don't have the desire to. And instead of my parents being like, Oh no, you're going to go to school and be a doctor. They were just like, okay, well, as long as you are doing something that's making you happy and you're able to sustain yourself and mm-hmm. make a living for yourself, then mm-hmm. that's fine with us. Of course, within morals, they're not telling me to go out and be a stripper because right. strippers can take care of themselves. Right. They sure can. But, they sure can. <laughs> but within reason, they were definitely like, 
okay, do what makes you happy, which I really appreciate. Good. And I feel like more parents should do that. As long I feel like as long as your kid is not out here wilding, support your kid. Because even though they might be going into something that's non-traditional, you never know what gifts will come from your child, you know? Because the people that they look oh, up yeah. to, they have a lot of non-traditional paths. And, you know, everybody has this idea of if I go to college, if I do this, etc., I will be successful. But there's more than one way to be successful. And I think that that's what our parents are having to realize now. I agree. And I also feel like at the end of the day, a person like once you get into your teenage years, I feel like you really start to develop who you are. Of Mm. course, like through your 20s, you make minor changes to yourself or even big changes. But as far as like your preferences and what type of person you are, Mm -hmm. those things don't change. So I would much rather accept my child for who they are than and to have them in my life than for my child like Izzy, Mm -hmm. who ran off. Because her mom wouldn't, yeah, and because her mom didn't accept her. Like, that would break my heart. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll talk about this more when we, after we talk about the Warren family. So let's, let's introduce Mia. So Mia is an artist. She is played by Carrie Washington. The Warren family is the second family that this series follows. So the Warren family is very different from the Richardson. It's only comprised of two people. Uh, Mia, who's played by Kerry Washington, and her daughter Pearl. So they are black. And it's important to say that because a big theme of this show is also race. It's about race. It's about class. It's about privilege. And I feel like this is a lot of themes that I talk about in this podcast. So I think that this is part of the reason why I feel like discussing this show is relevant. So as I said, Mia is an artist. So the thing with the Warren family is that they don't have a home, Aisha. They live in their car. You know, they travel from city to city, never really staying in one place too long. And, you know, the daughter Pearl has never really, you know, had a room of her own. All she's known is, okay, moving to the next city. And the reason why they move, we learn, is that since Mia is an artist, she likes to move to different places to get more inspiration for her work. At least that's what she tells her daughter. So that's the Warren family. So what are your thoughts on them and their dynamic and everything, Aisha? I feel like it's very selfish mm-hmm. of Mia um, to not give a child a stable life because, mm-hmm. I mean, so as you know, I work for Child Protective Services and our whole thing is making sure that children are in stable homes mm-hmm. because educational reasons and it, they just develop so much better being in a stable household. Mm-hmm. So I just think it's super selfish which, okay, I'm sure we're going to get into the fact that Mia stole this baby, basically. Right. Mm-hmm. For you to, to think that, okay, well, I'm not going to give her a stable home because I need to move from place to place to place to get work and do art. Mm-hmm. I just feel like she's only thinking about herself and she's just bringing Pearl along. For the ride. For the ride. Yeah. yeah. And I just, I, I don't like that. Yeah, I didn't like that either. We'll definitely touch on it. And I think we might as well touch on it now. So Mia, she lives with her daughter in her car. They go from city to city. And the reason why she doesn't tell her daughter the real reason why they move is because she actually has a secret. So years ago, back when Mia was in college, she actually was approached by a couple to be a surrogate. And the whole way this happened and the way the show, you know... (laughs) 
paints it is kind of creepy. So they are, this is in New York. She goes to a college, an art school, I think, in New York, and she's riding the subway. So, you know, you're listening to your music and you can tell when somebody's looking at you. From the corner of her eye, she could feel somebody staring at her. So this guy is staring at her. Um, she moves to the next stop. He starts to follow her. And then eventually she gets uncomfortable to the point where she turns around and goes, what do you want? Why are you following me? So this guy says, hey, I know this is weird. I'm sorry, but my name is, what, what was his name, Aisha? Uh, he said his name was Joe. Okay. I didn't get his last name. Yes, his name is Joe. He's like, my name is Joe. Here's my card. My wife and I, we've been struggling to have kids and you look stunningly just like my wife. Please hear me out. We'd love for you to be our surrogate. You don't have to think about it now, but here's my card. So she thinks about it. She needed a way to stay in school. She lost a scholarship. So this money, here's an opportunity. She decides to take the opportunity. So the couple is very thankful. They're very gracious. So the way that the insemination happens is also kind of weird. So they give her this turkey baster thing. And every, I guess, month, I guess, when she's ovulating, she sticks this turkey baster into her coo and tries to get pregnant and interestingly she's never actually had sex before so she needed help from the wife to you know help her in the insemination which was weird yeah i and i mean really if you think about it I, and i guess i get that this is a novel and all this is fake but mm-hmm. apparently that actually does not work like that's not really an actual medical procedure yeah i mean i guess it works but doctors definitely don't recommend that <laughs> I don't know. I just thought the whole thing was interesting. So that's the background on Mia. So she eventually becomes pregnant. She lets the family know that she's pregnant. And I I guess at the six month mark, she's showing at this point, she decides that, you know, she doesn't want to follow through with the pregnancy. She doesn't want to give the child to, you know, the couple that's been wanting a child. So she writes them a note and says, hey, I lost the baby and I'm so sorry. She runs away. And that's, you know, how her and Pearl have been living ever since. Yeah. But I think she runs away because she, so she lost her brother and Mm -hmm. then she lost the woman. So it was her professor that she ended up falling in love with. Mm -hmm. And she lost her professor because her professor died of cancer, I believe. Right. Um, And so she felt like Pearl was all she had left because her parents didn't approve of her having a child basically out of wedlock or Mm -hmm. it just, it wasn't widely accepted for people to have surrogates. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Cause this was in the eighties, I believe. Yeah. At that point it was at the eighties. And so her parents basically disowned her. And and when her brother died in the car accident, they basically told her, well, her mom basically said, don't come to the funeral. Like we want the funeral to be just about him. And you know, everyone's going to be asking you questions about the baby and who the father is and all this other stuff. And they just wanted the day to be about their son. Yeah. So the, her Mia's parents, I think they are Jamaican. They don't explicitly say in the show, but some cultures are about, are about the community and some cultures are about the individual with Jamaican culture and also with Nigerian culture, which is my culture. Everything is about the community. Everybody gossips about everybody. What's so-and-so up to? What's so-and-so doing? Everybody wants to tea on everybody. So the thing with Mia, she comes back home from school to attend her, you know, brother's funeral. Her parents didn't even know that she was pregnant. They see her pregnant belly and they're like, oh, no, we can't not have you coming 
to the funeral like this. And because of that, you know, she wasn't even able to attend her brother's funeral and they were very close. So that devastated her. And I think anybody would be devastated because if you lost a loved one and you're supposed to pay your respects and your final goodbyes and you're not able to have that moment, that does a lot to you psychologically. Yeah, so I definitely think that's what also drove her to take the baby away because she felt like Pearl was all she had. Mm -hmm. Even though Pearl... And I feel like this is such a tough position and it's why I would never go through surrogacy, Mm -hmm. Um, even though now there's like contracts put in place. But well, there was a contract also put in place with her, but she didn't honor that. Oh, true. That's right. That's right. Yeah. So that's the scary thing, because it's like, technically speaking, she is half of Pearl. So Mm -hmm. she has parental rights just as much unless the contract states that Mia does not have any parental rights over her. That uh, that's just a tough. It's, it's complicated. So after Mia, who's played by Carrie Washington, isn't able to attend her brother's funeral, I think she writes her parents a note saying that she's leaving. She gets she takes her brother's car in her pregnant belly and all, and then she you know she leaves. She dips. So the parents, I guess, after that moment, never hear from her again until years later, which we'll get get into in a second. So that's the background on Mia and Pearl. Fast forward to the 90s, because it's important to say, I actually should have said this in the beginning, but this show takes place in the 1990s. So everything is 90s themed, etc. So the place that the whole show takes place in is called Shaker Heights. And Shaker Heights is this pristine, classy, middle, upper class, you know, neighborhood. It's kind of like a utopia. And I'm I learned actually that This actually exists. Like, Shaker Heights is actually a suburb in Ohio. Did you know that? No, I didn't. I kind of thought that it was something that was made up. (laughs) Really? You would think. You would think it's made up. But yeah, so Mia and Pearl arrive in Shaker Heights, this beautiful city with the best schools. It's a utopia, I guess. So they are, you know, looking for a place to live so they can set up camp and, you know, until it's time to dip again. So they're looking for a place to live. And here's where we are introduced to Elena, who is part of the Richardson family. So Elena is showing them you know, the new house that they're looking at. And Elena's family actually owns this home. Is it a townhouse? Is it an apartment? Like, how would you describe this home? So I think what they said, it was like a condominium Mm -hmm. because it looks like, a home like one solid home on the outside but then whenever they go in it's actually two separate homes right and so elena was describing to mia saying that well it just gives people a sense of living in a home and not like a shared space right so this goes back to how this whole community everything is about the exterior everything is about perception and how you're viewed in the eyes of other people yeah which i think is really sad and i want that to be like one of the main points we talk about too Mm -hmm. because every like people try to put on this perfect persona but they're so messed up on the inside exactly for instance Mm -hmm. homegirl is jacked up yes but she wants everyone else to think that she has her life together which is fair no one wants to show the the tough sides of themselves Mm -hmm. but she just goes to a point where i just feel like it's toxic yeah she does and that's a perfect segue let's get into elena so elena we mentioned before everything about her is structured everything about her is perception and how other people perceive her so 
her theme is basically the meddling white woman. So she identifies like as a liberal, like she wants to see the good in everybody. So as she's showing Mia and Pearl this new house, because at this point, Pearl has grown up. This is years in the future. Pearl is now like high school age. So she's showing them the house, you know, talking about, oh, in this community, you know, everything is about perception. And one of the things that she mentions is how she doesn't care about the money. She could charge Mia, you know, full price. But rather than doing that, she's been leasing this place to people that she feels really deserves it. So basically, I don't know if they mentioned the price point, but in the book, she is leasing the place for $300. This is nothing. If y'all watch the show, y'all see this this house is really nice. Like, I feel like it'd be over $1,000 for rent if she really wanted to charge that. She would get that. The theme for Elena is the meddling white woman so with this theme i feel like a lot of liberal people liberal white people especially some of them feel like they have to you know do a lot to prove that they aren't racist or because they aren't racist they feel like they constantly have to prove i'm not racist i'm not racist i love everybody i love black people i love them i love them and that's i feel like that's how elena is characterized would you agree or disagree i agree i feel like you don't have to advertise that you're not a racist and I feel like you, people who constantly are like, oh, no, I have one black friend and he has dreads and mm-hmm. this, this, that. Like, you don't have to advertise those kind of things. Like, I don't go around and tell white people, oh, I have white friends <laughs> to prove that I'm not a racist. Like, right. it doesn't matter. Your character will show mm-hmm. and how you treat people will show whether or not you're a genuine person. Right. She leases them the place. She charges them a very low rate because she it's the right thing to do in her eyes. So that's her char- Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Question. Mm-hmm. Because I feel like... <laughs> Because the way that she was talking to Bill at the dinner table about Bill it, is her she husband. Was, yeah, so the way that she was talking to them, or so she, it was Bill and her three kids, and they were or four kids, and they were all talking about uh, their days, and she kind of made it seem like she was doing like a charity case type of deal. Yeah, yeah, she so did. Was she? Yeah. So was she doing it out the kindness of her heart, or was she doing it? to make herself look good so she can go and be like, oh, I helped a black woman get into this home, a black woman and her child who never had a home before. I helped them. Aisha, I think you hit the nail right on the head. I think that's the reason why she did it because we mentioned everything with the show, everything is about appearance. So she was talking about, and she was actually kind of gossiping about them in a way because she yeah. te- Mia tells her that she's an artist and then they have this whole back and forth. Oh, what kind of art do you make? So she was kind of like being nosy, trying to like find out more about them, which is fair. Because if you're leasing a place out to somebody, it's good to know what kind of job do you have? Will you be able to afford this place? But I feel like Mia kind of felt uncomfortable. And I don't know if it's because of the way that Kerry Washington played Mia or Mia's character. I She was kind of rude to Elena in the beginning. Would you agree? I agree. Well, question before mm-hmm. yeah, I answer. In the book, did she come off as rude? Because the whole thing with Carrie Washington's character is I can't see her in anything else other than Scandal. <laughs> so Same. Uh, it's really hard to read that. So was she rude in the book? Could you she was. Me? I wouldn't say she was rude in the book, but she basically, she never liked Elena from the jump. Like Elena was 
to in Carrie Washington's eyes or in Mia's eyes is like this meddling white woman that thinks that she's doing a good deed and wants everybody to know about it. Because I I am annoyed by that too. There's people that are wanting to genuinely do good things just for the sake of it. And there's people that want to do good things so they can brag about how they're a good person. You know, you're not a good person if you brag about every good deed that you do. You know, that's, that's how I look at it. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. Like you don't need to advertise what you do. That's not necessary. That's not necessary. Like, who are you trying to impress? But that is Elena's character. But yeah, that's one of the themes. Like, she's trying to do too much to prove that she's not racist. I feel like in the, there's this whole dinner scene towards the beginning of the show where the family's talking. We also find out that her daughter, Lexi, is dating a black man. I do think that it was known from the beginning of the show, but I don't know if there's a reference that Elena said that, yeah, we don't even care that he's black. Or something like that. Like, Yeah, I, it just rubbed me the wrong way. Yeah, there's a lot of microaggressions in this show. Like, this family claims to be, like, race blind, but race continues to be, you know, a central theme within this show. So, to talk about race even more, let's get into cross-cultural adoption. So, this is the point of contention in this entire series. This is the main drama in this entire series. So... Cross-cultural adoption. So we have BB. Oh, and to mention also, it's important to mention that Mia, she works at a restaurant. And that's how she's able to, you know, pay her bills in addition to the art that she makes and sells on the side. So she's both an artist and she also takes some shifts at the uh, local restaurant in Shaker Heights. So it's important to say that. So the reason why I say that is because um, BB is one of Mia's co-workers. BB is an Asian woman. She's Chinese, right? I really want to say Chinese, yeah. Yeah, I think she is Chinese. So BB is Chinese. She works at the restaurant with uh, Mia, and they start to develop a bond. They become work friends. So the Richardson family, Elena, she's good friends with another woman, Linda, who is the, I guess, the mother in the McCullough household. She's good friends with Elena. So they are, I guess, best friends, I would say. So the thing with the McCulloughs is that They've been struggling with fertility. It's been hard for them to bring a child into the world. You know, they've had several miscarriages. And having children is something that that they've always wanted to have. So since they can't have it naturally, they've decided to, you know, adopt a child. And they've decided actually to adopt uh, a Chinese baby. So they're so happy. They're like 80% done with the adoption process. So things are still getting worked out. So that's that with them. So BB, we learned... At one point, she was pregnant. She has her baby. I don't know if it mentions that she had a husband or not. No, it didn't. And I don't know what the timeline is. Like, if she had her baby in, like, she got pregnant in China and Mm -hmm. then came to America. Yeah, we don't know what that situation is. But it shows flashbacks of her struggling, trying to, you know, take care of her child. She works as a server. And it's hard for her. And after she has the baby, it's hard for her to keep up with all the formula and all the expensive things that come with, you know, raising a child. So out of desperation, you know, there's nothing else for her to do at this point. It's very cold. She decides to take the baby, put it in a box and take it to a fire station. That way, whoever, you know, is able to take care of the baby can take care of the baby. So she gives up her child. And after that, She doesn't know where that child is anymore. And yeah, she's very sad and heartbroken because she does miss her child. I told y'all she works as a server. So months um, pass by and she's more stable. She is, you know, able to support herself. And she's also able to now support her child now that she's no longer going through the rough patch. The McCulloughs, we told y'all, they're very good friends. 
with Elena, the Richardson family. And also, we mentioned Pearl. Pearl is Mia's daughter. And Pearl, she becomes friends with Elena's kids. You know, they start talking. They all go to the same school. And, you know, Moody in particular, which is one of Elena's kids, um, her son, actually, she he becomes good friends with Pearl. They become close. Moody starts to then invite Pearl over to their huge house. So Pearl, we told y'all she's never had anything. She's never really had a room to herself. She is so taken aback by the Richardson family because they have a home. They have this whole family dynamic, which is the polar opposite of, you know, Pearl's existence and everything that she's known. So she becomes friends with them because she's never really had friends and she's learning more about how they live because it's very different from hers. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, so she basically the family, they get more intertwined to the point where Elena one day catches Mia out and about in the town. And she asked Mia if she would like to basically kind of be her like help at home, her maid, the person that cooks from time to time and cleans just to help her out a little bit. So Mia... Get it right, Justin. She asked her to be her house manager. Okay, house manager. So explain why that's more (laughs) um, important to note the difference rather than just saying a straight up maid. Because I feel like Elena is trying to, again, prove that she's not asking a black woman to be her Mm -hmm. mammy Mm -hmm. type of thing. I think she's trying to fluff what the job actually is. Like, no, she is your maid. She is going to pick up the house because you obviously can't which i think is absolutely insane because she's such a organized person so how are you unable to pick up for yourself which then i feel like opens up the door to are you again trying to do charity work for her because she picks up a few nights at the lucky palace and that's all that Mm -hmm. she's getting it's like a kind of a white savior thing because that's another theme as well a lot of you know wealthy white people feel like they have to be the ones to save everybody else like we see within the world already Mm -hmm. colonization oh these poor africans they don't know anything they're savages that's what they taught us in school these people were living like savages and these white people they gave them christianity they gave them clothes and all this stuff to help them because that's the right thing to do you know yeah this whole white savior complex is, you know, Elena, she falls right under that. I had to mention that because the Richardson family and the Warren family, they become intertwined. So after that, Mia does agree to work in their household, you know, and be their help, basically. Be their house manager, as Asia likes to say. Mm-hmm. Um So while she's there, I guess Elena's on the phone. She's talking to Linda and they're talking about a baby and they're trying to throw the baby either a one a one year birthday party, right? Yeah, it's her first birthday. So Mia, since she works with Bibi, the Asian woman at the restaurant, Bibi has, you know, at times cried to Mia talking about how she misses her daughter and that she wishes that she was in her life again and she'd do anything to have her daughter back. And all Mia can do at this point is just sympathize with her because Mia is a single mother. She has a daughter and she feels sorry for, uh, you know, Bibi because Bibi doesn't have that. So on the phone one day, Elena is talking to Linda and they're trying to plan the one year birthday party for the baby who um, the McCullough's named Mirabelle. The baby actually named the child Ming Lee. Mei Ling. Mei Ling. Look at me just making up. I'm not racist. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to get it right. Mei Ling. Right. So Mei Ling is the given name that Bibi gave the child. And Maribel is the name that the McCullough's gave the child because they're the ones that adopted her. Once Mia eavesdrops and finds out that, wow, this baby that they're talking about 
is possibly the same baby that BB left at the doorstep of a fire station. She puts two and two together and realizes that they're talking about the same person. So she tells this information to BB, and the day of the one year old party, BB finds out where the McCullough's leaves, storms into the party, and tries to come and grab the baby and goes, That's my baby! That's my baby! And this scares the McCullough's. So they, you know, are scared, they're shaken, and they don't know what to do at this point because they they are trying to adopt this child, but then they soon learn that BB is trying to sue to get custody of this child. Yeah, I feel like it's such a tough situation to be in because mm-hmm. I don't agree with the fact that you can drop your child off. Granted, she did drop her off in like one of those safe safe places. Like there's something in place. There's some sort of law that says that you can drop your child off at like a hospital or a fire station or a police station. Mm-hmm. Um with granted they have to be under I think like six months or three months or something. I'm not quite sure the age. Uh-huh. But you can drop them off and it's no harm, no foul. Like if you can't take care of them, then they will take the baby in. They won't ask your name. They won't ask you anything. And the child is then what turned over to child protective services? Yes. Interesting. I just feel like you can't drop your kid off one, it was really cold that night and mm-hmm. it was snowing. She didn't even wait to see if anybody came to pick the child up and, like, got the child. Like, you just left. She knocked on the door and dipped. Like, I know that you're scared of immigration, and I I get that, and I get the fear of being deported. Yeah, she's not a citizen as well. It's important to note. Yeah, but I just it just doesn't sit right with me. Like, did you not know anyone that could have dropped the baby off and made sure or like you couldn't just stand there and wait and then take off running? I I don't know. We're not immigrants, so it's hard for us to put ourselves in th- that in her shoes. I would be scared too. A lot of people that don't have papers here in the United States, they are scared to approach law enforcement to get pulled over. All of that kind of thing cuz they don't want to, you know, be deported. So I I get where she's coming from do i like her decision of course not the baby is cold you know it had frostbitten fingers which we'll get into in a second and it's not the best move but i feel like it's complicated it's definitely complicated but i see where she's coming from so she storms into the party tries to grab for the child they tell her not to return and the mccullers are scared so mia finds out about this and she then wants to get involved. She then finds Bibi a lawyer so she can now have representation so she can fight to get her daughter back because that is her birth daughter. And then, you know, Elena finds out that Mia is supporting Bibi and <laughs> is not happy about it. She's not happy because she feels that she gave Mia a lot. And for Mia to go behind her back and find representation for Bibi, she looks at it like a knife in the back. I think Mia decided to get involved because she's trying to justify her own decisions. Like we said earlier, she made an agreement to give up her baby, you know, and she didn't. She ran away, lied to the surrogate family and said that she lost the baby just so she can keep the baby. The baby is biologically hers, but it's also biologically somebody else's. And she signed a legal document saying that she would give up the child, you know. So I feel like Mia only got involved so she can justify her reasons for wanting to keep Pearl. And I if Feel like that's why she decided to get involved and i think that it's also messed up because her daughter has never you know had a room never even had a house has they live in a car and go from city to city but yet you're able to spend thirty thousand on bb's legal fees that's so messed up to me 
Yeah, I agree. I mean, $30,000 definitely isn't enough to support yourself with but I definitely mm-hmm. feel like she could have found like a decent neighborhood and with that and I'm sure at that point like in the 90s or even the 80s because I don't know when the picture was taken I want to say in the 80s because that's when Pearl was born mm-hmm. right and I feel like in the 80s it $30,000 could probably get her like a, a somewhat decent house mm-hmm. considering the fact that she is bringing other money in due to her projects right. so why couldn't she have, you know, sold that picture, get the money, get her a decent house and get a decent place for Pearl to live? Mm-hmm. I think it's because, honestly, she wanted to continue running away so she doesn't get found out, basically, because I feel like at any point she's probably has anxiety that the family will find her, that the family will, you know, pursue legal action against her and ask for her baby back. So in order to deter all that, she's been running from city to city, but she's been just lying to her daughter and saying, Oh, I'm doing this because to get inspiration for my art. That is BS. It is. There are plenty of artists that live in, you know, I'm sure, of course, they're going to have like multiple places that they could live, but they started mm-hmm. off in one solid place and are selling out of one specific art gallery. Because I forgot the name of that lady who she was calling and asking for advice, but why couldn't she work with her? Like, obviously, this person saw potential in her. So why didn't she just stay there? Because where was her school? In New York? So that that studio was in New York that that she was talking to yeah so like that's prime place to stay not ohio right like, people don't no, care but about you, art in no ohio. actually no that's not a good idea because the the surrogate family is from new york if you're living in the same state it's more easy for them to find her you know new york is huge new york is big but i think that it's easy for them to like trace her because all they have to do is look into records she went to a new york school then they're like okay who were her teachers and professors who knows her and then people and students will be like oh yeah she had a close relationship with the art teacher and then that's when things will begin to unfold for her so i think that it's smart to move to a different town Because look at Casey Anthony. Florida is a big state, but after Casey Anthony was able to escape with a not guilty plea, rather than, you know, staying in that same state, they moved her into witness protection program and she's living in another state now. So I don't know. I don't think the excuse of it's a big state can justify somebody wanting to stay if they don't want to get found out. Well, even if she doesn't stay, I feel like she definitely could have found a stable place somewhere yeah maybe is it maybe new york isn't the right place but she could have went to california and which i'm sure she's gone to all these states mm-hmm. but how you end up in ohio where there's literally nothing there <laughs> like i don't see i don't see the like art selling in ohio mm. like i would think I the hot know. spots were like california and new york Well, this is fiction. The book is fiction. So I try to suspend disbelief with stuff like that. There's other things within the book that we'll get into that I feel like I can't suspend disbelief. But I feel like even if she doesn't buy a house, at least get a bigger and better car if you're going to be going road to road. Why live in that crammed up car, junk car, when you can get something better? Well, because it was her brother's car. So she definitely can't get rid of the car. Because I thought about that, too. I was like, why not get at least a decent car? Because $30,000, even today. Yeah, like even today, $30,000 is a lot to get a pretty decent vehicle. Oh, you can get a decent car for way less. Yeah, so especially during that time but yeah no she couldn't get rid of the car because it's her brother's okay 
Yeah, we kind of went on a little diversion there. To, so to bring it back to the cross-cultural adoption thing, BB sues the McCulloughs for custody of her child. So they engage in this custody battle, and it's taking place in the court. And the McCulloughs hire Bill, who is Elena's husband. He is a lawyer, and he's representing the McCulloughs. So this kind of complicates the d- dynamic even further because this family is getting so you know entangled with the Warrens and BB and etc. So it's really complicated. So the whole issue is BB is saying that because she is biologically Mei Ling's parent, that she should have custody of the child. And the question is, is that alone enough to warrant parental ownership? If you if you biologically, you know, are the parent of somebody, does that make you the parent alone, even though you can't provide everything that you you know, a kid needs to, you know, be successful, you can provide the basic necessities. But, you know, how much are you willing to provide? Because the McCulloughs, they are a wealthy family. They are also white. So that complicates things even further because you have this white family adopting a child that is Chinese. How much does culture play a role in that? And who deserves, you know, parental ownership, even though they have the means to, you know, provide for a child? Does that culture aspect matter in adoption? Should that be, should that have weight placed upon it? So what is your whole thing with cross-cultural adoption? Who do you side with? Who do you agree with, etc.? I want to know your thoughts on this. Okay, I side with the McCullers, mostly because I just don't think that you should be able to give up your child like that. Like, it's not even, she, it's not like she went to a hospital or gave the baby to a friend. Like, she dumped her child on probably one of the coldest days. I'm just assuming. I'm adding, mm-hmm. adding extra. Mm-hmm. but Embellishing. Yeah, but it, it was snowing. The baby's fingers were frostbitten. Like, you can't, to me, drop off your child and then all of a sudden try to come lay claims to them. Especially mm-hmm. when it, the adoption process is still going through. Like, mm-hmm. I just think that that's just beyond jacked up. I completely understand that she was unable to take care of her child and she probably was going through depression at that mm-hmm that point and just she really didn't have the means and she wanted her daughter to have a better life Mm -hmm. but nothing changed from the day that she dropped her child off on that fire to the fire station to when she started going to court she still Mm -hmm. was getting 213 an hour getting tips um her apartment was still bare it had nothing in it the baby at this point is better off with the mccullough's and she get visitation i do think that she Mm -hmm. should be able to visit with the child I, I could see how that would complicate things like whenever the baby gets older. Yeah. But and that that's interesting to note as well. This whole co- cross-cultural adoption thing could be a whole, you know, episode within itself. Ah, this. Oh, this could be a whole episode with itself. So my thing is I would side with the McCullough's. Because I think that nothing changed. I agree with you. And the reason why I say that, let's pretend that this whole thing didn't take place in Shaker Heights and it was happening like in our reality right now. The coronavirus is here and all of these restaurants are closed now. BB works as a server. She would be out of a job trying to raise a child with no income. That can't work. If you, My opinion is if your tips aren't guaranteed, neither should your custody. 
Ugh. Neither should your custody. That's my thing. I think she's too unstable financially to support the child. I know that she's biologically that child's mother, but I don't think that she she makes enough money to support the child. But is money everything, though? Yeah, because I was just about to ask, like, would it be different if she did have a stable job? And to me, I still don't think it would be different if now she got her life together. She should be able to take her daughter back. Now, if the adoption wasn't finalized and the baby was still in foster care, then okay, we're looking at something totally different. Mm-hmm. But the their adoption was pretty much finalized at this point. And adoptions right. take forever to finalize for whatever reason. I'm not sure. But... I just don't think that you could drop your, you could literally give your kid up and then all of a sudden be like, oops, just kidding. But yeah, never mind. I want my kid back. Yeah, in this legal system, I don't think that BB would ever win in our current no. legal system. Never. She did Never. like she ends up not winning, but I don't think she would have won. And even in the book, uh, the reason why I say this sh- show isn't good in my eyes is that they are trying to make us sympathize with BB when she's in the wrong. Like I don't think that we should sympathize with her at all. If anything, we should sympathize with her because she doesn't, you know, have her child and she wants it. But she gave it up essentially. She gave it up, and I know she didn't have any other options, but she gave it up. And I don't know how she got pregnant in the first place. We'll get on pregnancy in a second but if you are having kids in the first place and you're not even financially stable why are you doing that i question your judgment why bring a child into this world if you don't have the financial means to support them you know i understand that things happen life happens sometimes you end up in situations that you never envisioned envisioned yourself in but i don't think that's an excuse you have to be very conscious of what you're doing having sex unprotected i don't i don't know what happened but bringing a child into this world is not something that you can just do on a whim i think that everybody should take into account can i afford a child what kind of life will i be giving to my child if i bring one into this world yeah no i agree and i i I do understand that like things happen things go like babies at the end of the day are totally unplanned like even i feel like even if you're planning to have a kid you still don't know when that kid is going to come Mm -hmm. so i get that things happen and To me, it just doesn't, it just still doesn't add up to the fact that you can drop your kid off somewhere and then do the oopsies. I'm sorry. I want my, I want my kid back because I want them back. Like, no, like let your child, obviously she felt like she couldn't support her child. So now Mm -hmm. all of a sudden, why do you feel like you could support the child? You couldn't even pay the lawyer. You had to have some stranger pay the lawyer fees. And it's good thing that you said stranger because they are work friends. Aisha, you have people that you work with. Yes, y'all might have a good relationship, but you consider them work friends, right? Mm-hmm. My flaw with this book and this series is that they are work friends. Yes, they sympathize with each other, but they didn't really show like, I mean, I guess they were friends. I guess they did become friends because Mia sympathized with her so much. But basically, you don't really know this person and you're deciding to spend $30,000 on their legal fees when you can't even give your daughter a decent life. Like that doesn't make any sense. And the fact that the book and the film or the TV series was trying to justify that kind of behavior was annoying to me. Yeah, I definitely feel like there was a lot of justifying bad parenting Mm -hmm. or, well, maybe it wasn't even necessarily justifying, but maybe it was like showing a different light to different things. But Mm -hmm. I also feel like with this whole series, I, I think a lot of it is unrealistic. 
Like it was a lot of drama. I felt like I was, was watching a soap opera. Like I get it. It's fake. But for these series of events to happen to just these two families, well, I guess technically three families, mm-hmm. it's just so unrealistic to me. It is unrealistic. It's unrealistic the fact that the baby was adopted in the same town. Like, what are the odds of that? Because mm-hmm. you in Child Protective Services, I don't know if you dealt with stuff like that, but it, does that happen? Is that common? Actually, yeah, it is. Okay. So it's not too far-fetched that this one baby is being adopted in the same town. Because I was like, that's a flaw as well. It's like, I just find all of this too hard to believe. But like, let's, let's put a button on this. Culture is important. Let's not escape that. Culture is important when wanting to raise a child that has a different culture from yours because there's obviously things that you're not going to be able to provide to this child. There was a whole scene where they were like talking about getting her an Asian doll and that being part of her culture. It's just hard because I feel like whenever you adopt, you know, transracially, you're losing a lot. I don't think that child will ever have the same connection to their, you know, roots ever, you know? No, I definitely agree because even like in the dating world, like I don't ever see myself dating someone outside of my race. Now, granted, if you make me happy, great, but I mean, I'm in a relationship now, so that's not going to change, but it's just something about being with your own culture. It's like stuff that you don't have to explain. Like, I don't have to explain to Devin that I need to wrap my hair every night and I wear a bonnet. Mm -hmm. So yeah, like there's just certain things that cultures do that you just would like to not have to explain yeah but i think that dating and adoption are different though well i'm saying in the sense of like it's nice to be in your own culture because you're learning about like your own things and not you're not basically your life is not going to be a whole history lesson about your entire culture like yeah some people don't want to deal with having to teach somebody over a lifetime because it's a lifetime of learning it's not just you sit them down for three hours and explain your life story and your culture when you're living with them life and everything that they go through it's a teaching moment you know yeah because i think it's and the point i was trying to make is that it's so much easier to just go on about how you naturally do things versus reverting and like changing everything that you're doing because if we want the mccullas to be culturally appropriate for her they're gonna have to basically change like everything that they do they need to change Mm -hmm. their diets they need to change the decorations in their home potentially they need to i mean even language maybe if they want to learn mandarin or something like they would have to do that as well like there's so much that goes into an an adoption that we don't realize and because they're so different from her there's no way culturally that they'll ever give her the experience that she could have with bb yeah i was still gonna say i still don't think that it gives her grounds Because, yeah, she loses that cultural identity, but I would hope that she doesn't lose it completely. I would hope that they would try to educate her on, you know, some things like, like how they bought her an Asian doll. Like, yeah, Mm. she's... That's cute, but... Yeah, like, yeah, it's cute, but, like, at the same time, like, she is only one, so, like, what at this age could they really do differently? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, because then the lawyer also says something about, well, if you care about her culture so much, why did you change her name? I feel like as a mother, you want to name your child. Mm. And she didn't really stray away too far because Maribel, Mei Ling, like it still starts with an A and I get that like it could be whitewashing her. Right. Because Maribel is like a real Southern, in my opinion, I feel like it's a real Southern white Mm -hmm. name. Maribel. (laughs) Yeah. But 
to her defense, I feel like you want to name your child. Like, yeah. people, which is, this is totally on a different level, but people adopt dogs all the time and change their names. Like, mm-hmm. a dog will be three years old, their names it was Max, and they decided that they wanted to name him Rocco. So, if you want to name a dog... You think it's within her right? Yeah, I, it's definitely within her right to change that baby's name because that's her baby. Mm-hmm. I mean, that little girl calls her mom. That mm-hmm. little girl is, she's the one who calms her down. She's the right. one who has been with her for all, for a year at this point. So I think it was a stretch. It was, it was a stretch. And I feel like all the legal precedent sided with the McCullers. Even when I was reading the book, I guess for people that aren't familiar with the legal system, it's like suspenseful. Oh, who's going to win custody? But for me, I was like, no, I know America. I know the way this justice system works or this legal system works. There is no way in hell that they're going to give it to an unstable mother with unstable income. One week you could get really good tips. Another week you can't. What if you can't provide them for her formula or diapers? There is no way. And you're a single mother. You know, there's studies I I'm sure I'm sure that, you know, say that if you come from a two parent household, your outcomes for success, you know, drastically increase rather than being raised with one parent. Yeah, I just think that the better situation is for Maribel to stay with the McCullers. I feel like at this point, BB is just getting her back to be selfish. Like, because she's like, it's because she wants her. And I feel like there has to be more than just a want. Like, I feel like you need to sit down and think about your financial means and what you can actually provide for her. Because I'm sorry, but love is not enough. Like, yes, I'm sure she loves her baby. And that is a wonderful thing. But can you provide a safe space for her? Can you provide food and put food on the table? Like, I'm pretty sure in the episode, like, she, um, whenever Elena came to give her money to bribe her, I think it was, like, cold in the apartment because she didn't have heat. Yeah. So, I, I get that, you know, there's a lot that Maribel is losing, but I also feel like at the end of the day, children need stable homes, and I feel like Mm -hmm. that outweighs because I, I think at the end of the day, as long as you treat, as long as you teach someone to be a genuine person and a kind person and you don't take them away from their roots completely, which I didn't get that vibe from the McCullers because it, 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 it's okay. I didn't get that vibe as well, but I also got that they are very, very lost when it comes to race. A lot of white people have this problem where there's blind spots. Partly, I don't blame them, but I feel like if you're trying to adopt a baby that's not white, it is your job to try and immerse yourself in the culture as much as possible. I think that when she was getting interrogated, like, she really seemed clueless when it came to race. A lot of white people are well-intentioned, but well-intentions, you know, sometimes aren't enough. So it's like, if I'm white and I want to adopt somebody that's not within my race, how do I go about being a person that's conscious when it comes to race and identity without without whitewashing their culture. Yeah, I definitely think it the her getting interrogated put them in a different position. Like mm-hmm. I genuinely feel like maybe bef- before the trial that they weren't going to necessarily not teach her about her culture, but I feel like they were put in a position to really sit and think about, okay, well how am I going to introduce her to her culture mm-hmm. and not just get her fortune cookies you know i mean even though that was elena's idea to do the fortune cookies but Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, it's just very, there's blind spots that some white people have when it comes to race. And race is important. Race is always going to be an important thing whenever you are not, you know, a white person. Look at today with how Asians are dealing with coronavirus and the racism that's, you know, that, that they're going through, you know. How would she explain that to them? Does she have, you know, the range to do that? You know, this is stuff that's important. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely important to think about. But I also don't think that it's fair for them to be judged based off of like because like during interrogations you want to make sure that you're saying the right thing Mm -hmm. and so it's already a stressful situation so i don't feel like it was fair to judge based off of her like quick answers yeah and i think that actress did a good job honestly like how frazzled she she was and like trying she seemed well-intentioned and she seemed likable to me people will probably hate me for saying that but she felt (laughs) likable and well-intentioned in my opinion that's just how i saw it i don't know how you saw it asia yeah i liked her i didn't feel like she was an elena Mm -hmm. elena on the other hand is just a different thing because we'll get on her next actually let's go ahead and get to elena so elena we gave her some backstory so one thing that she dealt with in her younger years because the show flashes back to um when she was a little bit younger she had three kids at this point you know she's growing in her career she's happy she just you know got off maternity leave and is coming back from work after having her third child and She then soon finds out that she's pregnant with the fourth and she does not want to have a fourth baby. After three, she's like, this is perfect. I can start my career again. I'm happy. You know, even though I have the means to support another baby, where am I in my career? I just came back from maternity leave. How am I going to navigate, you know, having another child when I just said that I'm back to all of my coworkers and my supervisors, etc. So this whole theme that we're about to get into is the possibility of abortion whenever you do have the means to support a child. So this is something that she was thinking about. We see her have a conversation with her husband. The husband is all for it because they have the means, you know, it's a blessing. A baby is a blessing. Why not? But then she, when she sits down and talks to her mother, she talks about possibly wanting to terminate the pregnancy. And then the mother is like, oh, no, that's not something that people like us do. Because the I think the mom, you know, fought for abortion, I think, and the right for women to have abortion. So it's oh, in- yeah. interesting to look at the dichotomy of you're fighting for this, but your daughter's dealing with the same thing, but you're too above an abortion, you know? What are your thoughts on that whole, like, abortion situation? I don't like abortion. I am definitely, but I'm still definitely, like, pro-choice, like, at the mm-hmm. end of the day, do what you think is better. And I genuinely feel like if you don't think that you can, one, be financially stable for this baby, be emotionally stable for this baby, love the baby as if like, you know, like your life depends on it, then mm-hmm. I don't think that you should bring the child into this world because we see how the ending turned out. Yeah. Like I, I, I there are so many children in foster care now because the parents just don't care. Like people just have babies and don't care about that. Mm -hmm. So if you're sitting here saying that you want to focus on your career and three kids are enough, whether she has the means or not, because again, we see how Izzy turned out. Mm -hmm. She doesn't even have a relationship with her mom. So granted, Izzy, who knows what type of person she's going to grow up to be, but I feel like she's going to have so much emotional baggage 
that, I mean, I guess some people could say that that's worth it. At the end of the Mm. day, a life is here and she's going to be a protective member of society. But she's messed up. Like, her mom hates her. Yeah, that's one thing we didn't touch on is their dynamic. Izzy, who is the last child of Elena, nobody likes her. She's bullied at school for being gay. Her siblings don't like her. Her her dad seems to like her, but the mother does not like her. They argue all the time. There's this whole scene where um, Elena wanted them to take a Christmas photo and she didn't want to put on the outfit that Elena requested. And it was this whole blow up. Like, that's just an example of the type of fights that they have. They do not get along. She doesn't fit in. And she feels like sometimes that she she wasn't i don't know if i'm projecting or if this, this was talked about in the show that she wasn't wanted that she wasn't wanted or isn't wanted and desired in the family yeah no i definitely get that vibe i don't think that she knows like the reason why she wasn't wanted but mm-hmm. i feel like because that that reason doesn't come out until the very ending scene but right. i feel like she knows that because her mom refuses to call her Izzy or yeah Izzy and, mm-hmm. and only calls her Isabel and it forces her to do all these things and she can't even come and tell her mom that she has a crush on a girl when yeah. this girl blatantly lies on her that just it, it just goes to show that like I'm pretty sure Izzy knows that she wasn't wanted mm-hmm but never could pinpoint why she wasn't wanted. And I think as much as Elena tried to not show that side of her, she cracked and she ended up telling her. So I felt so bad. And I feel like the most sympathetic character is Izzy and Pearl. Izzy, because, you know, I feel bad for her. A kid never asked to be brought into the world, and yet you're treating them like they are nothing, that they weren't even supposed to be here. It wasn't her fault. She didn't ask to be here. And I think that that's why it's important that people really rationalize their decisions when they're thinking about having a kid. This TV show is about parenting just as much as it is about motherhood, you know? Yeah. Yeah, or raising children and bringing children into the world. So your stance on the whole abortion thing, if you were looking at Elena's situation, she didn't want to bring a child into the world, and we see how things turn out later. Do you think that she should have had an abortion? Yes. Okay. Even Even though she has the means, more than enough means to provide for another child. She doesn't love the child. Mm. Babies, I feel like babies can sense your energy when they're in the womb. And I feel like from jump, Izzy felt like she wasn't loved. Cause I'm pretty sure, I don't know. I'm pretty sure like Izzy cried all the time whenever she was first born. She did. There was a whole montage and I was like, oh. Yeah, and her and her mom just didn't bond. And I, cause we see this all the time in CPS where like moms are in abusive relationships with their, their baby daddies or their husbands or whoever. And that baby feels the mother's energy and they're the fussiest child in the world Mm -hmm. because they feel all this anxiety, like everything your child feels or everything you feel your child feels. Yeah. So Izzy knew from jump that she wasn't wanted. Now, whether she could have comprehended that, I don't truly know. But right. Yeah, I don't, I definitely don't think that she should have had her baby. That's interesting. Like, especially coming from you, somebody that is pro-choice, but is personally against abortion. If you were in that situation personally, that is an interesting opinion to have. Ah, My thing is, it's just so sad because I feel like it's selfish in a way to abort 
a child if you have the means because I feel like the reason why people decide to get abortions obviously it's a personal choice but sometimes I feel like most of the time it's because they can't afford it that they can't afford to bring a child into the world and you know they see it as their only option but as somebody that has options I feel like people look down on people that are wanting to have an abortion and they have the means to provide for that child yeah, which I, it's complicated. I, I get that. Yeah, it definitely is a complicated situation. And I don't know if it's just because like I am just so like, I mean, obviously, I'm not ready right now to be a mother, but I want mm-hmm. to be a mother so badly that I could never see myself getting an abortion. Right. Unless like, but you I also you also don't have three kids already, though, like Elena. Yeah, true, true. But I. I think I don't know it, it's it's tough for me to answer questions like this because I feel like I am such like a thinker like I me too. really try to think things out and plan things out to the best of my abilities and I completely understand that plans don't always go the way that they should go but like right now I know I'm not ready to have a kid so I have birth control mm-hmm. and if I were to have three kids and I'm like look like okay I'm I'm done let's get these tubes tied let's put some mm-hmm. birth control in like let's do something so i don't continue to have children yeah where you're not in that situation where you're having a child that you didn't intend to bring into the world yeah because i get and it, and it all goes back to babies are completely unexpected totally understand but mm-hmm. i feel like if you don't want to have children not necessarily saying that you don't want to have kids right now because i mean I feel like there's never really a right time to have kids. Like, you Mm -hmm. just kind of have them. Right. But if she is sitting here saying that she does not want to have this baby because she is more focused on her career, Mm -hmm. I don't think that she should have her. Because you're at the end of the day, you're going to neglect her, which it shows. It plays Mm -hmm. out. She's neglected. Mm -hmm. Izzy's the black sheep of the family. Yeah, definitely. Oh my, Asia, this is so complicated. And this is why (laughs) my thoughts on this show are so conflicted because is the show good because it's making me ask these questions, you know? I don't know. I don't know because this is is some interesting stuff. And I'm sure the people listening are like, ooh, this is complicated. What decision would I make in this situation? But the reason that... Um, whole segment with Elena also brings up how women sometimes feel like they have to sacrifice their careers for children. And the whole thing with Elena, she's a complicated character in herself because everything is about appearance to her and choices. Everything is about appearance and choices. She made the choice to settle with Bill rather than another fling that she had in the past. So rather exploring the options that she had with that, she decided to do what's more, I feel like what was more comfortable with her, which was I feel like settle for Bill, have kids, live in this pristine neighborhood, you know, have have it all. Basically, that's what it appears from the outside. But internally, it doesn't seem like she's happy. No, definitely not. I feel like because this is something that I've had definitely had to learn. Like I planned out everything like and for so long, like we're we we plan out everything like from elementary school like okay look I knew that I was going to go to this school next and then to Mm -hmm. this school next and then even when it got to college like you plan what college you want to go to what courses you want to do and then when Mm -hmm. you get out in the adult world like things change so I feel like plans are good to have so you can have a guideline of in goals of what you want to do but Mm -hmm. I think that I feel like you need to be flexible and she knew that that was the love of her life now, what, I don't know if I would necessarily stay in Paris. You know, I would really have to think about that. 
But I mean, eventually he came back to the States. So, but life is about taking risk, I think, taking safe risk. Honestly, I feel like it's easy for us to always do what's comfortable and what's the known thing to do. But I read the book Outliers, The Story of Success by Malcolm Gladwell. I recommend it to everybody. It really changed my perspective on success because in the book, we learned that a lot of the most successful people that we see are the ones who decided to take a risk, you know, whether that's dropping out of college, moving somewhere else rather than doing what's comfortable, which is like going to school, getting a job, doing the day to day things that people normally do. Sometimes you don't know, you know, what's expected for you at that other side whenever you do decide to do something else rather than what people envision you doing. It's so hard to let go of your plans sometimes. Yeah, because we want to be happy. Maybe she mm-hmm. thought that doing this, she would be happy. Having a fourth child change everything. She's like, I'm unhappy. I didn't want this and I had the choice to do something else. I didn't and my life is turning out much different than how I expected. So this is this internal struggle that she's dealing with. But from the outside, nobody sees that. She seems happy. You know, she's rich. She has a family. And I'm sure it's a huge slap in the face whenever her ex is working for the New York Times. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure she's probably thinking like, well, dang, had I just stayed in Paris with him with the love of my life, like I Mm -hmm. could be at New York Times with him. That's why I feel like this show is so relatable because this is something that everybody is dealing with. No matter how old you are, whether you're in your mid-20s like us or whether you're, you know, older, 60, you know, it makes you question, had I done this or that Where would my life be? And where we are at right now, every decision that we're doing now is going to impact our future. We're in the stage now where it's the shoulda, woulda, coulda phase, where if I shoulda, woulda, coulda done this, things would have turned out differently. And it's scary. But I'm learning that sometimes you just have to live life, you know, acknowledge and just own your decisions and whatever happens, happens. This is life. Yeah, I feel like at the end of the day, a person knows what's best for them, but they're either too scared to take that risk mm-hmm. or they want to, well, yeah, they're just, they want to just stay safe, which I completely understand. But like you said, like you need to take safe risks. Life is all about risk. Life changes. Life throws curveballs at you all the time. And mm-hmm. you're right. We are in that stage where like when we look back when we're 35, we're like, dang, had I just taken that job opportunity across the seas? Mm-hmm. Like my life could be totally different. Mm-hmm. Or had I just went ahead and spent that time with the love of my life instead of breaking up with them because they don't like the color purple, you know, like <laughs> it, I, I just, I feel like, you know, at the end of the day, what is best for you and people try to ignore that. Like, yeah. you know, not you, your brain knows not to put yourself in harm's way like that. So mm-hmm you know, take those risks. Yeah, take those risks. And it's hard. It's because I want to practice what I preach. Obviously, I feel like I'm not taking risk. And I feel like sometimes I have to I have to do that. And this show is teaching me, Justin, do you want to end up like Elena? Take that risk. (laughs) Take that chance. You know where you see yourself. Are you taking the steps to do that? So the show did make me question my own life. Am I taking those, you know, steps to make sure I am where I I want to be or am I playing it safe? Am I doing what's expected from me and I'm going to have to live with my consequences or my decisions at the end of the day? So Lexi is one of Elena's daughters. She is the popular girl. She's pretty. She has all these friends. She's smart and she's trying to get into Yale. So everybody knows Yale is a competitive school and one of the questions on her essay for admission is name, you know, a time 
um, in which you've overcome, you know, something obstacle. It's basically like your, what do they call it? Um, like name a, a challenge that you yes. had or a struggle that you've gone through and how did you overcome it? And since she's privileged, she was really struggling. As this privileged white girl, what struggles have I gone through? Have I struggled with my mom making ends meet, food on the table? Mm, not really. So what do I go through? What are my struggles? So she was struggling. So once she gets introduced to Pearl, Pearl's issue with the show um, is that um, she's trying to get into higher level classes. And this is where race comes into play as well. Um, the teacher doesn't believe that the schools that she came from offer her a good solid foundation, even though she's advanced past the class that she's trying to get into in the first place. So that's a whole like side note. So she does she write an essay about it? Like what happens with that? Oh, yeah, no, I remember. Wrote, yeah, I think she wrote like a poem or something and she had a, a poem read it. Yeah, it was she a, wrote a lot of poems or maybe she was just writing. Her no, thoughts or it wasn't. Something. It wasn't a poem. It was a a letter to the school um, saying that she would like to like get into the class. I don't know what it was. I think you're right. It was a letter and she had Elena proofread it. And I think she later decided that she wasn't going to do it. And then Elena was like, oh, no, like, I'll go take care of this type of thing. And then mm -hmm. she leaves the letter at the house on the counter. Yeah. Lexi comes home from school, reads it and is like, wow, this is a really challenging problem that she's going through. Why don't I take this? Why don't I steal this and use it? For my own essay, since I don't have any hardships. So Lexi does end up using Pearl's letter. She uses it. And she then, we find out we she gets into Yale because of that letter that is not even her own experience. So this is so messed up, in my opinion. So foul. Yeah, so do you, do you agree with her boyfriend, which I forgot his name, but mm -hmm. do you agree with him being so, like, upset with her? I do. I do because I think that because Lexi's white, because Lexi is privileged, again, a lot of people have blind spots when it comes to race. Honestly, stealing an admission essay, that's just wrong, regardless of whether you're white, regardless of whether you're black. Stealing is stealing. That's wrong. That's plagiarism. That's exactly what she did. So that's wrong on the surface level. But then to take it from somebody who is black, somebody that you call a friend, to steal that as if that's your own experience, that is wrong. And if you dating a black guy and you don't see that as wrong and even amplified because that person that you're stealing from is black you have a blind spot when it comes to race that is wrong no matter how you want to look at it i do feel that the boyfriend was justified to feel upset when she told him that she stole pearl's essay and used it for her admissions letter that is so wrong and he was justified yeah especially because considering the fact that um, so it was a scene where I think it was just Moody, Lexi, and Pearl and Izzy, they were walking in the hallway and Lexi comes out of nowhere because they were all talking about what they were going to wear to homecoming. And mm -hmm. Lexi comes out of nowhere and she was like, oh no, Pearl, like I'll go buy you a dress, like, you know, trying to butter her up. And mm -hmm. then Lexi didn't even have the, the balls to tell her like, yeah, I stole your essay. She's pretty much saying like, okay, well, I'm going to buy you this dress but I used because I used your essay as inspiration and so then it comes out at the homecoming dance that um because Lexi's boyfriend was like so she really bought you a dress because she used your essay and then and, and to, to find out that Lexi like not only stole the essay but 
she then lies about it. I, it just, yeah, it blows my mind. I definitely think he was in his right mind to be upset. But then, of course, she throws her punani at him and everything mm-hmm. is just peaches and cream all of a sudden. Right. Oh, so. it's so wrong. It, I, I, it made me so mad. But that brings together a question that I have. If you are white, if you are privileged, what exactly are you supposed to write about whenever they ask you what hardship have you gone through, you know? Because if you truly don't have a hardship, are you going to lie? Because I feel like a lot of people do lie on their college applications. Let's just call a spade a spade. People do lie on their college applications. So, you know, what? How do you? how do you write about something that you've never experienced? Yeah, no, and to be completely honest... Okay, because for which was the first college I went to, I didn't have to write an essay for, but for I did. And Mm -hmm. so I purposely skipped that question because I feel like I was very privileged growing up. Like I grew up in a two parent household. I Mm -hmm. had jobs, but I was always my parents always supplied everything I needed for me. I went to decent schools like I never struggled for anything. So I definitely understand like that whole, well, what am I supposed to write about? And I don't think it's necessarily just a white person's problem because mm-hmm. I feel like all of my friends, none of us have really struggled. Like, yeah. I don't... Okay, you're right. It's not a race thing. It's a privilege thing. Yeah, for sure a privilege thing. But I think because of the times that this um, show was placed in and the setting mm-hmm. and the fact that she stole from a black girl who was struggling then yeah it's no doubt an issue but do I think it'd be an issue if like s- someone thought of this on their own because people lie all the time I know I have fluffed super extra fluffed my college and some essay. embellishments yeah. oh yes no doubt about it like I'm pretty sure I had my dad write half of it for me because oh, I oh wow yeah I remember us like sitting up on the phone talking about it because what do you what do you write about on a college essay like I'm and you're very privileged like I mm-hmm. do believe that I'm super privileged so like I, I skipped that question yeah. Yeah. Okay. So I was talking to um, one of my friends of the show who's a fan of the show. And she said, she's white, by the way. And she said, she responded um, to my uh, sticker when I posted on the podcast page. And she said that she watches the show. So we had a whole back and forth discussion about what is the right thing to do in this whole situation with the essays. And she said that she also struggled when it came to that question. And she said that she thinks that the question should be rephrased. If you don't have a struggle, it should be rephrased to what social causes do you care about? And what are you going to do to advocate for those causes? And I was like, hmm, that's a good idea. Because, you know, should people be penalized because they've never gone through anything? We look down on them, but should they be penalized for that? I don't necessarily think so because I'm privileged. Yes, I did have a struggle to write down, but I'm privileged too. We all go through stuff. But if you certainly don't have anything to write on or to reflect upon, what do you write? And should we look down on people that don't have a struggle, you know? Yeah, no, definitely shouldn't look down on others for not struggling because struggling is not something that I don't want to say it should be glorified, but I feel like it gives you kind of like street cred, like, oh, yeah, like I... I've been through something. Yeah, like I ate rice and beans for dinner every night, which I get that like it's great that people overcome certain stuff like that, but for for those of us who 
who basically had, and I don't want to say everything handed to us because I, all of my friends and people that I surround myself with have worked hard for the things that they've achieved and accomplished. But I mean, we pretty much had everything handed to us. Like I didn't have to struggle. My parents bought my first car. Mm -hmm. I didn't have to walk 20 miles to get to school right i had the means to get mcdonald's every day if i wanted to like Mm -hmm. i didn't struggle like at all so i don't think that i should be looked down upon or thought of any less because i didn't struggle i i think that wrong is wrong you you don't have to we don't have to look down on people for not having a struggle but to steal somebody else's experience and paint that as your own that's wrong i'd rather somebody lie about a random experience than to take and steal from somebody that is impoverished just to capitalize and get what you want you're already white you're already privileged and to add on this it makes it that much worse to me yeah I it agree. makes it that Especially much worse she lied about it like to um pearl's face and said oh yeah. you inspired my essay how could you have inspired something so specific homegirl couldn't get into a math class because she moved around too much and the teacher was racist you don't get inspired from a story like that like that's too specific yeah it's way too specific so that was definitely wrong but it what do you guys think you guys that are listening to this far in the episode y'all must be really interested in what we have to say you guys that have made it this far what would you do have y'all had struggles with you know admissions essays do you think things need to be amended to help people that are privileged um what do you think of the whole admissions process in the first place is it flawed you know let me know i really truly want to know what y'all's thoughts are on this whole situation so my problems with the show is that it's trying to paint the bad guy as the good guy. This was my problem with the book as well. Mia, we talked about how she lied to her daughter about her existence. Um, she never told her daughter that she has any family. You know, she, even who her father is, she wouldn't even share that information to Pearl. And I think that's unfair. I think that I would be having an identity crisis if I was Pearl. Who am I? You know, how was I brought here? I don't even have a home. We go from, you know, place to place. No, you know, no friends. You know, I make some friends, then I move. I make some friends, then I ro- then I move. I don't have my own room to myself. What kind of life is that? And I feel like the show and even the book tried to justify Mia's behavior by saying just because she is her biological daughter that that enough allows her to do as she pleases. And that's wrong to me. I also don't... I think Pearl kind of got like a little whitewashed. Like I feel like she got Ooh. so caught up in the white picket fences and everyone has their own bathroom and uh-huh. bedroom and stuff like that because she got a little flippant with her mom and I feel like she didn't give her mom the chance to explain granted I totally understand your mom has with been withholding thirty thousand dollars from you and mm-hmm. she gave it to some random work stranger I get that but I'm always a firm believer in listening to every side and then making your judgment mm-hmm um so and to be 14 and be flip it like how she was like i i just don't i don't agree i don't know i think that pearl every the attitude was a lot at points but i don't know how i would act if i you know found out everything because the way you know pearl found out we haven't talked about this elena and Mia are feuding at this point. Elena is upset that Mia is representing Bibi. And Mia is upset because 
her daughter is getting, you know, entangled with this white family, you know, that she feels like is dangerous, you know? This privileged family, what do they know about struggle? Why is my daughter always hanging out with them and befriending them? I don't want my daughter to become that. So, you know, she gets, you know, wary about allowing her daughter, you know, access to the Richardsons. So this is, you know, the point of their contention. So, well, Elena, this is the what I was trying to say. Elena, she is upset with Mia. She sits, you know, Pearl down one day and she decides to tell um, Pearl her entire life story. Elena decided to dig into Mia's past, find out where she grew up, even took a trip to Pittsburgh to go visit Mia's family and find out more information about her. The parents tell her about the whole surrogacy thing, how Mia ran away. They haven't contacted her. Elena finds out all of this. And then brings that information to Pearl, who is Mia's daughter, and decides to tell her that information. That is wrong. No matter how much somebody upsets you, you do not do that to somebody else. You cannot be the person to bear that bad news to somebody that you have no, no relation to. I think that's wrong and trifling. What did you think about that whole situation? Yeah, she totally did it out of spite and it was so ugly. And the the, the white meddling or the meddling white woman role really showed at that scene. Like when she mm-hmm. told Pearl, because she was totally and I feel like she knew that she was in the wrong. But she Elena, did. Elena has a habit of doing things that she shouldn't be doing because there was a scene where Elena tried to give um ten thousand dollars or write a ten dollars ten thousand dollar check to bb to get Mm -hmm. her to stop pursuing to get her child and bill was livid bill her husband because he was like that's "That's, tampering yeah he was like that's freaking tampering with evidence so what are you doing like you're ruining everything so literally i feel like this whole like well i'm just trying to help like no that's the whole meddling white woman trope trying to be well-intentioned doing too much sticking your nose in other people's business i feel like i can relate to that because you know i have neighbors i grew up with neighbors that are nosy white meddling always trying to find out the tea on us because we are the only black people that live in our neighborhood so everybody wants to know oh what are they up to like what are they doing like mind your own business and i feel like she was wrong for that she was definitely wrong for that oh yeah no doubt wrong she was wrong. And the, the, okay, so to go back to the problems I have with the show, they try to paint Mia as a superhero, as somebody that just wants to protect her daughter, but it's wrong. No matter how you want to look at her situation, it's definitely wrong to do what she did. To We've talked about it. To do everything that she did, it's wrong. Same thing with BB. Towards the end of the book, towards the end of the TV series, the McCulloughs win custody of Mirabelle or Mei Ling, whichever name you want to call her. And Bibi, in the middle of the night, decides to go to the McCulloughs, break into their home, take Mei Ling, and then flee. And then they try to justify that behavior. That is wrong. You cannot... That's kidnapping. Even though that kid is yours, this is why the show and this, you know, book is complicated. It, that is her baby, though. But the McCullers no. won the adoption. So who yeah. who should keep her? Like, whose child truly is that? It's the McCullers' child. Like, at the end of the day, I just feel like there was no thought put into it. And this is this was one of the problems that I had with the show, is that it was too unrealistic. Like, yeah. there is no way... No way that she was so scared of getting deported 
that she couldn't stay with her child to make sure that she was taking or like the, the firefighters brought her in because she was scared of getting deported. But yet mm-hmm. you need to tell me that she walked into a rich white people's home and mm-hmm. stole a baby. Mm-hmm. Like what happened to the, I'm so scared of getting deported. Like does, are they trying to say that like, well, the, the, the want to be a mother is so much stronger, but no, it just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, it didn't make sense. And I don't like how they were trying to justify that behavior. In the book, she actually steals the baby and then goes to China. Yeah, I think in the show, it showed that she was in Niagara Falls. So I guess she crossed the border and is now in Canada. I could be wrong. Did you notice that detail of where uh, BB ended up? I thought that that was saying where Izzy ended up. I, oh, I don't know. I don't know. You guys that watch the show, which, what part? I don't know. It's complicated. I need to go rewatch that. But I'm pretty sure that it showed that BB was in Niagara Falls with her child and she had crossed the border. So it'll be hard for them to track her down. But in the book, she takes the baby to China. And at that point, there's in that country with more than a billion people as their population, there's no way that they're going to find Maribel. And then also another problem that I had with the TV series and the book is the acting. Kerry Washington, I do not believe her to be a good actress. The show overall is well acted. I think the kids especially knocked it out of the park. Because you know with kid actors, well I hate calling them kids when they're in their like early 20s and teens. I think they did a good job, honestly. Especially Pearl. I was always expecting her to me to cringe watching her. But I think she did a good job with the dialogue and the stuff that she was given. I think she did a great job. But Carrie Washington is not a good actress to me. Like, she's a mouth actor. She's what I call a mouth actor. She acts with her teeth. She acts with her lips and her mouth. And it's so annoying to watch. While watching her, I was getting flashbacks of Scandal. I'm like, no, there was a reason why I didn't like Scandal. And I think this is why Carrie Washington's acting. She's a decent actress, but the way she emotes, it's so annoying. She has this lip quiver. <laughs> it's so <laughs> annoying. Like, what did you think of the acting overall in Carrie Washington, etc.? I think everything was great. I saw this tweet where it said that um, Reese Witherspoon sure knows how to play a white woman. She does. And I thought that was really funny. Yeah, she was a really good actress. I've always loved her and her character in different shows. But yeah, I agree about the about Carrie Washington because there is this other um, movie that she was in. I think it was called American Boy. No, Ameri- American Son. Okay, yeah, American Son. And it... I only watched it because I wanted to see what the end, um, what the ending would be. But I was cringing the whole entire time. I am mm-hmm. not a fan of Kerry Washington's acting. I think that she was really good in Scandal, and I feel like the theatrics in Scandal was really good. So mm-hmm. the lip quivers go with it, and maybe I, I just. Because when she cries too, like her, Ugh. I feel like her teeth are too big for her mouth. And so yes. I stare at her teeth and that just me bothers me. I like think she's a good, she's a good person. She's a wonderful yeah. person. I love for what she stands for because I follow her on Twitter and like I follow all like her social medias and stuff. Mm-hmm. But her acting, I don't care for either. Me neither. Me neither. 
Ugh, I don't know. The projects that she does, I'm not really interesting. She's not a really a prestige actress, in my opinion, but that's okay. Reese Witherspoon, she loves playing roles like this, because if y'all watch Big Little Lies, she's ex- essentially playing the 1990s version of her character in the HBO series Big Little Lies, which is funny, in my opinion. I feel like she's having fun with the projects that she's doing now, and I've never had a problem with her acting. I will say, the show did get melodramatic at parts, There was a scene where Mia, after finding out that Elena told Pearl her life story, they have a stare down on the front yard. And I'm like, oh, my God, I'm so I'm cringing so bad at this. I'm like, can you get any more soap opera? Oh, yeah, like definitely. I feel like towards like the end of the season, they definitely had a lot of dramatic endings that. Oh, at one point I just had to skip. I skipped through one of them for sure, because I was just like, this is too much. I don't care. Like, y'all aren't going to have any more dialogue. Like, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. Annoying, annoying, annoying. But this ending. Let's talk about this ending. Little fires everywhere. And we haven't even talked about a fire, Asia. <laughs> well, <laughs> no. Uh-huh. Technically, we have. We've talked about fictional fires. Elena is sparking up everything uh-huh uh-huh let's just talk about this ending this is a problem that i had i did not like the ending i didn't like the ending in the book either i think that you know somebody burning a whole house down is very dramatic and if you're going to burn down a house it has to be justified in my opinion bad treatment is not enough to justify you know burning a house in the novel Izzy is the one that burns down the house and she burns down the house and then she decides to run away. But couldn't she have run away, just left her mom, left all of her family, people that didn't even like her? Shouldn't she couldn't she just have done that rather than burning down the house? Like why why go as far as that in order to accomplish your goal if your goal is just to leave and to be your own person? Again, another reason why I feel like this show had its unrealistic moments. Because mm-hmm. I get you being so angry because in the TV show, it got to a point where um, they put out the fire in Izzy's room. And then after Elena and Lexi had their little um, their little blow issue, up. yeah, their blow up in the hallway, then Lexi turns into the ringleader and she starts burning down everything or throwing gasoline on everything. And she gets tripping moody involved because she was like look at what this house stands for like you see how mom like doesn't even really care about us like do you really Mm want to turn out like mom like we should Mm -hmm. just start all over pretty much and like I get the starting all over and I understand that maybe they felt like that was the only thing that they had left to do Mm -hmm. but talk about the privilege of burning down your own home burning down all of your possessions The privilege jumped out. And I thought that that was so stupid. I felt like these kids have one blow up with their mother. Yes, they're tired of her. Yes, they're sick of her. But you live in this huge, beautiful home. And one blow up. I know that you've lived with her for years and you're tired. But one, this one big blow up is the catalyst for you wanting to burn down your own house, your own home. All of your possessions gone. Your bed, your food, your clothes, everything gone. Your dad is a lawyer. Who knows what kind of important documents that he had in that home, you know? All of that you're burning. That It made no sense to me. Yeah. You can leave. One of them, a couple of them are about to be in college. If you can't stand your mom, well, 
perfect timing. You're about to go to college and live on your own for a few months before you come back during the break. There's your escape. Izzy, you know, she could have left. She could have left without burning the house. I feel like more so she had a she had a reason more so than anybody else to want to burn down the house because she's been the black sheep of the family for her entire existence in that family. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. I think it also shows like that how selfish teenagers can be because we feel like in the moment, like, oh, this is the only thing that I can do. Like, this is the only way to help myself. Mm-hmm. and not think about the consequences like i'm sure like as a kid like well no not not even i was gonna try and like sympathize with them and say like oh yeah like i understand like wanting to burn your house down no i don't i've never mm-hmm. because at the end of the day like if you don't care about anyone else's possessions do you really not care about yours yeah i, I it's just stupid and i get that the theme <laughs> is that I guess Elena is sparking little fires everywhere and how one spark can ignite something that burns into something much bigger. I get that. And I get that to be cute, like why not, you know, have a fire be the ending of the whole series and the whole book. Yes, that's cute, but it's, I don't know, it's just its just tacky and it doesn't work for me. I have to feel like it is earned and it wasn't earned in my opinion. And I don't know, it just, I hated it. The privilege, it smells so bad. Oh, yeah. No, I definitely agree. It just doesn't make sense. I hated it. But, yeah, that's it. That's how the show ended. I thought the little fires everywhere. I think that it's worth a watch. Do I have my issues with it? Yes. But it's definitely worth a watch. What is your, like, final overall view on little fires everywhere, Aisha? I think it was very dramatic, to say Mm -hmm. the least. I think it was very unrealistic, again, because I had mentioned before that I feel like these specific specific situations could definitely happen to a person, Mm -hmm. but for it to be so concentrated to just these three families... I think it's just absolutely bizarre. But I get you can't just have a whole bunch of different storylines, you know, and different Mm -hmm. people in, Mm -hmm. you know, a cast or whatever. So I guess I get it. But at the same time, I just think it was I think it was dramatic. I would give it like a six out of ten. Really? I don't know if I can give like a star rating. I'm just not good at stuff like that on the entertainment level. Like so, six out of ten is your quality quality level, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, what is your entertainment level? Like for somebody that doesn't care about the reality and the realness of it all, like what would you give it? If oh, somebody I'd just give wants it, to, I'd give it like, a ten. If you can, if you can mm. separate yourself from the, because I'm the type of person where like I get sad in movies because I think about like oh, dang, like, this could really happen to a person. Like, there's people out there where this really happened to. Like, mm-hmm. I, I just, I can't not do it when I'm watching something, unless it's, like, cartoons. But even then, I'm like, oh, dang, like, that could seriously happen to someone. Right. So, if you don't, if you could separate yourself from that, 10 out of 10. If you mm. can't, like me, 2 out of 10. So, would you, like, knowing what you know now, if somebody recommended this to you, would you watch it? Uh, Wait, that, I don't think that question makes sense. <laughs> no, it does. I think okay. I think I still would because once I get started on something, I really want to know how it ends. So I, if I were to start it, mm-hmm. because the the first couple of episodes they weren't overly dramatic, 
Right. And even Devin said like, oh, this is too much, but I still have to watch because I need to know what happened. Did Devin finish the entire series? Yeah, we had watched it together. Oh, good together. for him. Good yeah. for him. So, yeah, there was a lot of, oh, this is so cringy. Oh, I can't stop watching. I think the show is entertaining as well. Like, would I recommend it to somebody? Yes, I would. Just strictly for the entertainment stuff. I have my problems with it. We've discussed it in this episode. But I do think that there are redeeming qualities to this show. Um, I think that this show is good if somebody's trying to do, like, a character study on race, on class, on privilege, you know, on cross-cultural adoption, on, you know... Everything, all of that stuff, even surrogacy to a certain extent. What makes somebody a mother? Where does it come into play when you should tell the truth and be honest to somebody? Even, even you know, interracial dating as well. You know, that's one of the themes that I feel like is important as well. But all of those things, identity are important. And all of those things, I feel like this show definitely does a character study on for that fact alone, I feel like it is something that is worth watching. But, And I feel like I shouldn't be so critical because there's problems with any series. Um, uh, I, feel I like, don't know. I feel like there's, from the outside looking in, because everyone has such different opinions of things, like mm-hmm. people, because, okay, like I'm obsessed with Grey's Anatomy. Like I'm rewatching it for the sixth time. Wow. There are doctors out there that are probably watching Grey's Anatomy and be like, that is so fake like i Mm -hmm. don't i hate that but then there's Mm -hmm. people like me who just eat it up so i feel like there's problems with every show but this one i I don't know i don't know some are more glaring than others but i think that the problems that we did bring up are genuine problems with the show bb and winning in the end them justifying mia as a good character you know the fire at the end all very questionable and i think that we're justified to question that um and the writing as well but it is what it is there's problems with everything you're not gonna like everything i still do think that this show is entertaining and we did finish it didn't we (laughs) yeah (laughs) they they got me Yeah, this was like just a review that I wanted to do. I know I don't normally do reviews on this show, but when something is thought provoking, I have to talk about it. And for those of y'all that listened and didn't watch the show and found it entertaining, thank you for sticking through, you know, this long. And hopefully you found, you know, something that you can have a discussion about. But yeah, Aisha. Yes. Thank you for joining me this week, honestly. Of course, this was a good conversation to have. It was, it was. And I'm sure there's people that have been having conversations about this show. But you guys, I hope you enjoyed it. This show is available on Hulu. If you haven't watched it and you somehow listened to this review without watching, I'm sorry you got spoiled, but it is what it is. Thank you guys for listening. And we will catch you on the next one. I'll see y'all on Wednesday. Y'all have a good rest of the week. Bye. Bye.